for us as a business, we've lost half a billion pounds in the first half of this year. So it's a devastating impact. Fortunately, we are well funded. We're investment grade credit rating. We have enough cash to see us through to the end of 2022. So we're, uh, we're very well placed. This is John Holland Kay, Chief Executive Officer of Heathrow Airport, the UK's largest airport and a vital hub for international transit and trade. He is speaking with Sky News about the economic impact of COVID-19 in the country. We will see um, more companies going to the wall and more job losses as a result of uh, keeping Britain locked down for the foreseeable future. So we do need to see a path through. The government's already done some good things by introducing this risk-based approach with the green, amber, red uh, approach. This system characterises countries by risk. Green countries are safer than home. Amber countries are less safe than green countries, and returning from red countries requires travellers to self-isolate at home for two weeks. And where this matters increasingly will be on finding a way for people to be able to travel between the UK and places like Canada and Singapore, the, the US, India, key trading markets that we need to be exporting to, uh, that we need to get tourists from over the coming year. And unless we have a way of allowing people to travel more freely to those markets, then the UK economy is really going to struggle. We've already seen millions of job losses being announced. We need to have a more targeted and more sophisticated way of, of opening our borders so that we keep people safe, but we allow, to, allow people to get back to work in as normal a way as possible. We're going to be living this with this for a long time. And if our response is to close down our country as a small island trading nation, we will kill our economy and millions of jobs will be lost that could have been saved. In our interconnected world, the aviation industry may be the first to feel the economic sting of our attempts to fight COVID, but others will follow if nothing changes. Legislation, flexible quarantining strategies and breakthroughs in test and trace can only get us so far. Vast numbers of people need to travel through airports to keep our global economy moving. Something needs to be done to screen this human tide and keep riskier individuals from travelling, while providing reassurance to passengers, airlines and governments alike. While avoiding disruption for the majority as far as possible. And bringing an end to the current economic catastrophe. Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher. And I'm Rian Owen. In this episode, we are joined by the British smart infrastructure solutions company Costain, which is bringing camera-based temperature screening to UK airports. We will also hear about how, with tens of thousands of people passing through a system, there will always be one who finds a way to baffle it in a never-before-seen way. But most of all, how technology can open our skies restart our economy and bring together friends and families who have been apart too long. Giving confidence to governments, restarting economies, getting back to the skies, all very grand concepts. But when you think about imposing a screening system on the travelling public, you have to take it down to a very human level. What is the traditional feeling of travelling through an airport? You are in, for most people, an unusual environment, rushing from queue to queue. Thousands of other people are around you. Some people are delayed. There will be complaints, grumbles, 
outsized baggage to check at the special desk at the end of the concourse. You might be running late yourself. With the additional COVID restrictions, airports will be stress tested even further. Anyone looking to add an extra layer of complexity to the system needs to think about what they are doing extremely carefully. But most importantly of all, they need to understand the airport environment. I'm Fiona O'Shea. I'm a key account director in the aviation sector at Costain. So I've worked in aviation for over 20 years now. Um, for the majority of my career, I've worked and I've managed the operation that we know is called Underwing. Underwing is any operation related to loading or unloading the aircraft. We ensure bags travel with their customers and to give the customer the best possible experience by departing on time. Before COVID, airports were very busy places and some days busier than others. Like if you come to the summer holidays, you can reach such a peak of people flying through them. So on a day-to-day -day basis, an airport had many challenges just to make sure the customer had an enjoyable experience when they arrived. It can be quite stressful for some people. And the airport was want to work towards making it as an enjoyable experience as they possibly could. So they need to make sure no queues. People don't like to queue. So they want to make sure they minimise the queues and good facilities. They had to make sure they had the right facilities open and timely communication to customers to make sure that customers through the airport knew where they needed to be and when. And what was really important as well is to make sure that all their systems were running and effective. And that's no easy feat in an airport. So to say, there are only a few of the challenges the airport would have every day, but there was a lot for them to manage. Fiona is passionate about air travel, having spent so many years helping the machine run smoothly and was devastated when COVID struck. So the airport is fundamentally important for the whole economy. And, you know, the issue we have is that passenger numbers have dropped significantly. I mean, 97% since COVID. Airports and airlines need to provide passengers with confidence that it's safe to fly. Fiona says that this is the biggest challenge facing airports right now, ahead of all the normal concerns about customer comfort. And for this, there is no silver bullet. It is a combination of many solutions. This includes making sure the airport is clean, asking people to wear face masks, enforcing social distancing and providing information to customers. Costain's contribution is a camera system that checks passengers for elevated temperature. Our technology is helping to de-risk flying by adding another layer in a Swiss cheese to help prevent those with one of the symptoms of COVID from flying. For those who aren't familiar with the Swiss cheese model, it likens human systems to multiple slices of Swiss cheese, stacked side by side, in which the risk of a threat becoming reality is mitigated by different types of defences, which are layered behind each other, just like holes in the cheese disappear as you stack more slices together. Therefore, in theory, weaknesses in one defence are mitigated by other defences in other layers. The more layers of security that are added in a simplified and integrated system, the less risk presented to passengers. My name's Rob Middleton. Uh, my role at Costain is I'm the proposition lead for surveillance and situational awareness. I work for the digital part of Costain and uh, we have kind of three types of service 
or three types of proposition. The first is the digital advisory, which can include things like systems engineering and data architecture and enterprise architecture. Then the bit that Rob works in. Which is the digital products and services, which is looking at kind of sometimes physical products, sometimes software products, but but quite well-defined chunks of, of, of deliverable capability. And then the third part of our, our digital business is around digital systems integration, which is taking really complex client integration challenges and pulling them to, uh, and, and trying to create a solution by sort of integrating different bits of technology together. So in the in this in the context of elevated body temperature screening at the moment, this is very much a kind of a, a increasingly sort of shrink wrapped uh, product and service where we supply the elevated body temperature screening, we do the installation, the training, we get you up and running and we the first thing that Rob wanted me to know about temperature screening is that it's not a COVID detector. So the first thing I guess to point and probably mention this again and again is it's not really a, it's not a medical device technology. It's not providing medical grade temperature measurements. It's a screening solution, particularly for larger volumes of people when it's impractical to do that, uh, to take temperatures of individuals using kind of the measures, you know, we will be familiar with for ourselves. It is a system that enables us to filter out with more confidence the vast majority of travellers who are not sick. This is a common goal for digital measurement in multiple industries, to sieve data so that only when human intervention is needed, then a product is flagged for attention. We'll have more on this concept in an upcoming episode on future rail maintenance. Elevated body temperature systems have uh, typically four main components. The first is the camera itself, and most of the systems that we deal with have a combined thermal imager and optical camera, normal visible light camera in the same housing. The second part is the black body, which is used for calibration. The third part is either a video recording device, a personal video, uh, a network video recorder or some kind of device to record images and data, or a laptop can do that as well. And the fourth part, part of it is actually is typically an additional display screen because one of the things we do want is that people are very, very interested to know how the system is working, for, measuring them. This goes back to human nature. If you see yourself on screen, you will inevitably look at the screen. So if you put the display monitor next to the camera itself, people can't help but give the system a perfect view of their faces. Which helps the, the whole identification as, as well as, as well as I think providing transparency and confidence for the users that we're not you know, trying to make very intrusive recordings. There's some choices you need to make in terms of how you configure that system. So the first point is, to, is you have to think quite carefully about the camera. So small sensors tend to give quite a narrow field of view or quite short range and, and larger sensors tend to be very, very expensive. Then there's a choice around layout, how to physically set the system up in the airport. Remember, this is having to be rolled out quickly, experimentally, as a rapid response to deal with the pandemic. It is not fixed neatly in place or designed into the building itself. It involves tripods and leads plugged into wall sockets. So placing the components carefully is a key issue. And Rob explains that a major part of his work is advising the client on how best to utilise the system, rather than just dropping the camera off and leaving them to it. So one of the key requirements to give improved accuracy is the use of a black body, which is to calibrate the camera in a continuous way. So what the, camera's, uh, the, the black body does is it maintains a very, very accurate 35 degrees C 
And then that improves the precision and the accuracy with which the thermal imaging camera can measure body temperatures. But of course, the black body has to be within the field of view of the camera. And because facial identification is used to help tell the camera where to look for the right body temperature. You actually have to think quite carefully about how the, the subjects of your screening technology will move through that field of view of the camera. Will they come close enough for long enough? And, and also whether you're ideally trying to screen multiple people at once or whether it's actually fine to just screen an individual. And all that, there's a considerable amount of work to get a, a system that works really well for our clients. And we've been on a, a really rapid learning curve there to build our, our position there. And we think we've got quite a lot of knowledge in terms of what will work and what won't. Most of the technology for these systems is similar. Most of the systems that are out there, they, they all work in fundamentally the same way. There are some detailed differences or differences in terms of how the, the systems are configured, but generally it involves a person or people presenting themselves in front of the camera. I think all mobile phones these days, the camera, particularly the visible, generally the visible light part, but it can be the infrared too, will then have a, a little bit of video analytics, a bit of data, big data or machine learning there that will identify faces. And so by identifying a face shape, as your camera does, yeah, then that directs the uh, software inside the, the thermal imaging camera as which pixels will give the best measurement and most accurate measurement of body temperature. And those are generally ar around the eye sockets and to less extent and to certain extent on the forehead as well. As this is a mass screening system, you want as few false alarms as possible. You don't want the system to be being distracted by other things that might be body temperature or warmer, but are not people cups of coffee and things like that. So once that's then, then having directed the, the camera to look at certain pixels, that makes a temperature estimation quite accurate to, to plus or minus 0.3 degrees C. And then if the person is over threat, is over, over the given threshold, that creates an alarm. And obviously you can alarm that in all sorts of ways. You could, uh, typically it's, you know, can flash up red on a laptop screen, but it could also be an audible alarm or, or another kind of visual alarm. This is that use of technology to filter or sieve data so that only relevant or confusing cases are passed on to a human for further checks. Typically you would set the temperature. We're finding most clients are setting it in around in between 37.3 to 37.5. And the reason for doing that is that it gives, it will create a trigger an alarm. If you then take into account the 0.3 degrees Celsius error bar, it will trigger the alarm before body temperature gets into a high 37 or a low 38. This is critical as some national regulators are saying that people should not be getting onto planes if their temperature is 38. So by going in that bit lower, you create, instead of having to screen everybody, what the, thermal, the, the, the body temperature screening solution is doing is really down selecting to a small number of people who are more interesting and more likely to be febrile. Once you have the camera system sorted, the next major question is where to locate it in the airport. Here is our airport expert, Fiona, again. Passenger flow is always important at an airport as people really don't want to queue. And if you think now in a COVID world, it's maybe even more important because people are very conscious about their own space and they don't want to be you know, around other people. So when we were looking at the camera, it was really important to make sure that we... we had a camera that could screen multiple people and also that 
and people didn't have to stop and look at the camera. So from an airport perspective, you know, they want to make sure that a front of house, the customer is flowing, that they're going through and that the camera is picking everyone up. I mean, this, this camera picks up multiple people at one go. Um, they also need to make sure that airside, so for our transferring customers, that they're looking at that to make sure that you continually get that flow. And lastly, it's really important from arriving customers. So you've got off that aircraft, you're coming into the country and the airports want to make sure that you too have been looked at for no elevated temperatures. So it's again important to really look at where the cameras are going and that it's not impacting that flow. But there are technical considerations to be balanced against airport requirements. So here's Rob. In some respects, it's really attractive to screen people even before they come into the airport or at the front door. The risk of that is that you get a large number of false alarms or uh, false positives because of people being particularly in hot weather. We've seen some interesting false alarms caused by uh, people actually at one of our project sites. They go out for, you know, for lunch or for a, a cigarette break or something. And they come back in and their skin is very, or in hot, hot weather, their skin is very hot, or the, the top of their head or their head is very hot from having been standing around in the sun. And that creates a false positive. And of course, you can handle a few false positives, but having large numbers becomes really painful. So the front door is challenging. What about further along the passenger journey? So moving on, you could think about doing a check-in because you want to, the, the flight, uh, you don't want to see on load bags for people that, who could be unwell. There's boarding card screening, and that's quite a neat way place to do it in some respects because you are able to unambiguously tie temperature meet reading to a traveller. And whilst that's not a requirement at the moment, it could become a requirement later down the line. And then there's also a, a, a screening at the gate as well, which gives you the sort of maximum assurance that people on a specific flight heading towards a specific destination are compliant with the specific regulations enforce at, at that at that particular time because and of course the regulatory field is changing most countries are doing their own thing and so it's also quite attractive to screen at this point and wherever you place the system it will have totally different throughput demands placed on it we also have systems where they're screening the crew the, the flight and cabin crews as they come through the airport so and obviously those are different volumes and if you could imagine Obviously, a, a plane, you might need to do 300 to 400 people for a long-haul flight, maybe more, in the, in, in the space of maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So that gives you a sort of an idea about the numbers per minute you need to look through. But of course, if, you, if you're doing it as, you know, in arrivals or, or in the sort of departure area, we've got huge numbers of people coming through, then you end up potentially needing a sort of a much bigger array of cameras. Rob says that they are still some way from making a final decision on the issue. And certainly, the, I would just say, sort of May and June and into July have been very much characterised by early deployments and experimental deployments. So we've had ones in arrivals, ones in departures, in crew, in crew reporting centres, by at the, at the gate, as, as different organisations uh, and our different clients have sort of tried to work out where this fits into their overall process. So there are lots of challenges to be faced in an airport environment, but there is one major advantage that makes an airport the ideal location to have this sort of screening? I think it would be fair to say that these systems perform a bit better in an aviation environment and the reason for, than in, in others. And the reason for that is that typically the, the system is buried in a climate-controlled airport terminal. So people have had a greater chance to 
their, their effect their skin temperature to equilibrate to be to be more and then you get a more representative view of the body temperature we do get some false alarms on one of the systems that install our project site because people go out for uh you know go off the site and then they come on or come onto the site after being out in hot weather and their skin and sometimes their hair is or, or if they're wearing a hard hat or even a turban that that's all very hot which is less of an issue at an airport however when you are dealing with this many people and as people will insist on being people. When we first installed, and I think this is something we, we will continue to see as people as sort of start to, you know, as, as this is a novel technology, is we saw some false alarms where what seems to have happened, where the temperature is way above anything that would be survivable for a person. And what's going on there is, we've been, is people are uh, kind of trying to trick the system a little bit by putting uh, holding a cup of coffee in front of their face so the face still gets detected by the system but then there's a bit of nice hot cup of coffee uh, and so the system creates an alarm measuring sort of you know 60 or 70 degrees or some other lethal temperature. Again this is the importance of the facial recognition technology and making sure the people can locate someone's eyes. Everything is still very reactive, a response to an immediate threat. Although technology is a key part in our response to COVID, Rob says more clarity on its place within that response is needed. I think that's really coming into a, a point about, you know, at the moment, because it's all been very reactive, massive uncertainty. I think there's, in, in other countries, there's perhaps a little bit more clarity about the role this technology plays in the, particularly in the aviation sector for screening passengers. But we haven't quite got that to that level of clarity in the UK yet about what the role of it is and how it fits into an integrated sort of COVID management model. Because I think we do need to be really clear that this is not silver bullet technology that detects people with COVID. It's detecting people who've got high skin temperature uh, and therefore maybe are likely to, to be feverish. So it needs to fit into that overall risk reduction model and COVID management model that is considering everything from mask wearing, social distancing, how you change the air, uh, you know, as a way of, as each measure that you take progressively cuts the risk of transmission. And so this has a, we think, you know, we believe this has a role in it. And Rob has one eye on the future. So, yeah, so, and but of course, the, the journey that we think we're on is that these cameras will probably find some level of enduring use and so will be integrated into the wider airport passenger management system, security and screening systems, like it's already typically the case in, you know, in East Asia. And the reason I, I, I think we believe that is that whilst we all desperately hope that COVID will be, you know, we can all stop worrying about COVID uh, in, in a couple of years time, there'll be a vaccine or something, there's still gonna be things like seasonal flu. And if we look at what's happened over the last 20 years where we've had, you know, uh, SARS, MERS, swine flu, avian flu, you know, these different sort of pandemics. The reason it's COVID, I guess, is, is an even bigger thing here is because none of those pandemics really reached the UK. But if we expect these things to continue to crop up every five to 10 years, and then there's going to be seasonal, potentially seasonal flu outbreaks to deal with, then you could imagine that these cameras, you know, have, a, have an enduring role in the airport infrastructure, in which case you're looking at a much tighter integration, both from a, a hardware perspective of having cameras, you know, you won't have things plugged in just sort of ad hoc on tripods. There'll be all, everything being properly mounted, properly integrated. And then also thinking about the passenger journey and the sort of the, the softer part of that process that, that takes, a, you know, effectively is trying to assure wellness of passengers and crew from the sort of the moment they enter the airport before from, from online check-in through to arriving at the other end. Here is Fiona again, 
She recalls the 2002-2004 SARS outbreak and how Hong Kong managed to keep its temperature screening systems in place and so was ready for COVID-19 when it emerged. I think for me, um, for the future, I just want to see aviation back up and running again as quickly as we can and making sure that people are safe. And, you know, when I reflect and I look, so if I look at Hong Kong, for example, following SARS, they kept their elevated temperature screening cameras in their airports. So when we actually went into this pandemic of COVID, they were already prepared as they had that thermal imaging technology. And we could easily do the same in British airports. When I look at our technology, it could also be used as a standard CCTV. So the airport and airlines could switch off the thermal imaging. So basically the camera has two parts. It's got a visible and it has a thermal. So you could, if you wanted to, switch off the thermal and just use the visible camera. And then let's go forbid and let's hope nothing like this happened again. But if it did, you've then got the camera there in situ to use the thermal imaging again. In her 20 years in aviation, Fiona has seen good times and bad times. She is no stranger to concerned passengers and stressful days. But she had this to say about what makes her job truly rewarding. I've worked in the airline industry for over 20 years and everybody will know that you get disruption. It can be weather disruption, it it can be a number of things, but you know, Weather disruption is really out of your hands and it happens and you just try the best. You know, all that was ever in my head is how do I help a customer? Um, You go around and you do your utmost and to be honest with them as well. You answer the questions and it might be an answer they don't want to hear, but you have to give it. And, you know, as somebody who works in an airport or works for an airline, it isn't unusual in in these days. You have lots of people shouting at you and screaming at you and you just have to stay really calm. You empathise, but at the end of the day, you have to be honest about what you can do to help them because it's reality. You know, sometimes we do, of course we plan for snow and that, but I remember there's plenty of time where, you know, the forecasters didn't know it was going to snow and it just happens. And then you have to deal with it on the day. Sometimes they're the most enjoyable days because actually you will help people. And if you can help people and you can give them a resolution, that's what you're always looking to do. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was created in partnership with Costain. Produced and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Rian Owen. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our air traffic controller is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can listen to us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, or share us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.